Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the ABIP podcast. I'm Abhinav Agrawal, the Associate Editor of the ABIP podcast, and today I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Rajni Bhatt. Dr. Bhatt is an interventional pulmonologist with special interest in palliative medicine, end-of-life care, and humanities in medicine. Dr. Bhatt, thank you so much for being here for the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, Abhinav. It's a pleasure to um, have a chat with you about something I care about deeply. Dr. Bhatt, do you have any uh, conflicts of interest to disclose before we get started? And none whatsoever. So in patients with advanced illnesses, both physicians and patients may be averse to invasive procedures. However, we know that patients that benefit the most are the ones who are more severely affected. Studies have demonstrated that survival in patients with advanced lung cancer and central airway obstruction undergoing recanalization is similar to patients without central airway obstruction, despite greater comorbidity, and lesser use of chemotherapy. To that point, interventional pulmonology has often been referred to as endoscopic palliative care. Our contribution to palliate patients with pleural effusion, central airway obstruction, severe asthma, or emphysema is well known to physicians in our circles. However, many of these patients refer to us late in their disease course. So Dr. Bhatt, in your opinion, what can we as interventional pulmonologists do to educate primary care physicians, palliative care doctors, and oncologists about our role as an endoscopic palliative care specialist in these patients. So um, that's 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 really um, a very important question to address overall in terms of collaboration between specialties, Abhinav. Um, and it's sort of where my interest in the intersection of interventional pulmonology and palliative medicine began, which was roughly about five years ago, with the results of uh, David Ost's work in the Acquired Registry, which is which is something like you referred to just now, which is that the patients who were most symptomatic seem to have the greatest benefit. Um, and the aversion of uh, palliative medicine specialists to refer sicker patients for interventions because uh, the presumed burden of the intervention was seen to be greater than the possible benefit. So I think one of the most important things that I learned in my interactions with palliative medicine specialists was when I first started collaborating and uh, speaking in palliative medicine workshops and things, I would go and take my talk on uh, the, uh, the respiratory symptom control in advanced lung diseases, um, stay, for, stay for a little bit and then leave. And then some of my neuropalliative care colleagues asked me to come and attend a whole two-day workshop and see how that shifts my thinking. My two-day workshop with them taught me a lot more than I could share with them in terms of things. So when I say that I learned a lot more about a common language. So when we decide that there's going to be a lot of sharing back and forth, that's when they're going to find them accepting our role as endoscopic palliative care specialists. And in the last five years, that's what I've discovered, that now when I go to palliative medicine workshops, advanced therapeutic workshops in palliative medicine, um, I speak the same language as they do, and therefore the buy-in for more procedures or understanding that interventions will reduce the burden of symptoms in patients with advanced lung diseases is, is much more, it's much more readily acceptable. Got it. So you're saying collaborating with them, but speaking the same language. And I'd like to elaborate on that just a little bit. So if you look at what happened with uh, some of the data that we have about symptom relief in advanced lung diseases, um, and just look at the acquired registry, right? And we counted mm -hmm. as 
93% success rates in terms of outcomes in all these procedures, which were rigid bronchoscopy, recanalization, uh, whether it was just tumor debulking or stenting. Um, so you count your success as 93%. But then when you look, and, and this, this was a really important piece of work because it addressed dyspnea and quality of life. But the number of patients where these were measured is only about 19 or 20%. So when we start including the measures that are important to palliative care medicine specialists, if we had that data on 100% of patients, you would be able to get the buy-in much more for the procedure. So we need to start studying that more uniformly across the board. Um, and I know that a lot of work now focuses on that. I and mean, you look at the work in malignant pleural effusions and we're looking at quality of life. Um, we're looking at symptom relief a lot more than a radiological or endoscopic, uh, visually appealing outcome, I guess. Absolutely. I think that is a very important point to consider as we do our future research and design our future studies, in addition to looking at uh, definitive outcomes that we do. Another important question that I have is, it's a very general question. So as an interventional pulmonologist, when should we be consulting our palliative care specialists? That's a great question. Um, I, I, I usually start my talks with asking how many palliative medicine doctors in the room, even in interventional pulmonology circles. And it's always interesting to me when initially there are a few hands that go up and then by the end of the talk, there's a lot more hands going up. We are all palliative medicine specialists as well. We might use an endoscopic approach. Uh, however, there are complex uh, palliative care needs that all patients with advanced lung diseases have. So pretty much every one of our patients who is referred to us or comes to us with the need of an intervention would do well with a palliative medicine referral. That said, palliative pulmonology is a specific field in itself. So there's a lot of work on breathlessness interventions, breathlessness support services, uh, more aware that we are of how uh, our combined efforts with endoscopic interventional procedures, as well as the non-pharmacological procedures and interventions done by palliative pulmonology support services. Um, when we start studying that, we'll get a lot more. So I would say pretty much all of our patients qualify for it if it is available and if they have complex palliative care needs for addressing total pain of the patient. Absolutely. So let's take, I think, let's think about this scenario further. Pulmonary pathologies such as lung cancer and COPD are some of the leading causes of morbidity and mortality around the world, and interventional pulmonologists are likely to encounter these patients with unmet palliative care needs. So let's say there is a patient with refractory malignancy who is not a candidate for systemic therapy, and now I am consulted for a placement of an IPC for recurrent pleural effusion. I can help palliate the patient's dyspnea by the means of an IPC. Should I be consulting a palliative care physician at this point? And what advantage will that provide when I'm already controlling the dyspnea? I think this builds on our previous um, question, Abhinav. And um, you know my answer already to that is that pretty much every patient who will undergo a procedure for an advanced lung disease and specifically a malignant pleural effusion will benefit from a palliative care physician. And I would hope that by the time that uh, this patient reaches you, there is some supportive service in place for the patient. Um, the other part of it is, uh, again, borrowing from the work of uh, Ryan Horiana Grosu at, uh, at MD Anderson with malignant pleural effusions. Um, mm -hmm. There is something to suggest that uh, when we look at malignant pleural effusions, this knowledge of how interventional procedures 
uh, done early actually has a quality of life benefit is something that needs to be disseminated much more. Um, and I would feel that the more dialogue there is between the palliative care community and the intervention community, we will actually be doing the procedures earlier at, the, at a better point in time. Um, and this is only going to happen when we start doing more conversations. So if you start sending referrals to your palliative care physician more, you and your colleague are more likely to have more conversations where they start referring patients to you. This, this, is, this is about building relationships uh, and bridges across specialties. Um, and this is, this is how, you know, the collaborative work goes forward. So we start, this is exactly what happened with me, that I started collaborating a lot more with palliative medicine specialists, and I learned a lot from them. And then I'm able to share, hey, you know that we can offer a lot more and vice versa. So if you think of consulting a palliative care physician with a specific goal of breathlessness support services, which are beyond your intervention, maybe both of you will see your patient benefit a lot more in terms of um, reducing symptom burden and reducing healthcare suffer, uh, health-related suffering. Absolutely, I think as you mentioned, you know, relieving their symptoms and uh, reducing the healthcare burden is a priority for these patients. So, yeah. to your point of the integration, in recent years there has been integration between the palliative services and ICU care with initiatives such as IPAL ICU, and you have mentioned that in your previous talks. Preliminary evidence suggests that such models may be associated with an improved quality of life, higher rates of formalization of advanced directives, and utilization of hospice services, as well as lower use of certain non-beneficial life-prolonging therapies for patients who are at the end of their life. So how can we bring this integration formally to the field of interventional pulmonology? And are there any collaborative models that are currently being worked on? Um, yeah, so you bring up a really interesting point, Abhinav, about the IPAL ICU. and um, you know, I think there was a survey of American hospitals which showed that the maximum referrals to palliative care actually come from critical care specialists and then hospitalists and then pulmonologists and oncologists. So we as pulmonologists or people with critical care backgrounds are already attuned to palliative care needs of patients and it's been demonstrated in the intensive care units. Um, when you ask about uh, I, I do envision that an integrated or an improved palliative care in interventional pulmonology model will benefit patients. Um, and about collaborative models, uh, I have one example, or well, two examples actually in India. One is the All India Institute of Medical Sciences where the palliative medicine resident um, actually does a pulmonology rotation and can trigger palliative medicine consults. So they have a combined lung cancer clinic, the palliative medicine a uh, resident is a part of the pulmonology team and also sees how the benefits are in, uh, in terms of uh, more aggressive interventions maybe, but is also able to bring in the palliative medicine inputs into the pulmonology team. So I think the synergy of the shared information between the pulmonology resident, the IP fellow and the palliative medicine resident in that team is going to be what will take the patient care to the next level. So there is a model there. There is a model in Manipal Academy of Higher Education in India as well, where the pulmonology team and the interventional pulmonology team there collaborate with the head of the palliative medicine department and do a lot of uh, work there. In fact, I've referred some patients from Bangalore for palliative care to Manipal um, because the patient was locally from there. And I found that it's really been beneficial. This is someone with an adenoid cystic carcinoma and could get breathlessness support services at Manipal beyond that. So I think there are small 
little centers where where this work is happening and i think we need a lot more multidisciplinary um, mdts for patients with complex palliative care needs with intervention and palliative medicine working together would be a great idea Absolutely. I think uh, we have a lot of work to do for this in the future, but something uh, which we can work on together with our palliative care doctors. This has been really educational for me, and I'm sure our listeners will agree to this. Talked about any closing comments? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been a really uh, gratifying journey for me in the last five years with um, conversations between specialties. And I'm going to end with a quote from Heisenberg of the uncertainty principle that science is rooted in conversations and the cooperation of different people will culminate in scientific results of the utmost importance. And here to me, the complementary variables are interventional pulmonology and palliative medicine. And I hope that we can um, have a lot more conversations about quality of life, reducing total pain and suffering, and maybe improve our own practices for our patients a lot more with this collaboration. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for joining us today for our podcast. Thanks so much, Abhinav. It was a pleasure chatting with you.